You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. In January 2015, Baylor had just wrapped up its most successful season in program history. The Bears won 11 games, were co-Big 12 champions, and under much controversy got snubbed from the first college football playoff. But by the end of 2016, the head coach was fired, and the school president, athletics director, and Title IX coordinator had all resigned in disgrace amid a campus rape scandal. As media members, it became impossible to discuss Baylor as a collection of football players and coaches without also discussing it as a broader institution that systematically enabled sexual assault. Once the wrongdoers had been evicted from Waco and the perpetrators had started making their way through the legal system, the nation was eager to wash its hands of Baylor. That included high school prospects committed to the program and already enrolled players who, even in the days before the transfer portal, were desperate for a way out. In 2017, when Baylor lost 11 games, it was almost a relief. By all appearances, Baylor was back in the cellar of the Big 12, where it always had been before Art Bryles became the head coach. And given the extent to which Baylor's reputation had been damaged over the past several years, it didn't seem especially likely that they'd ever climb out of it. But two seasons later, Matt Rule has Baylor sitting at 7-0, ranked number 14 in the country, with a realistic shot at reaching the Big 12 title game. Today on the College Football Daily, we talk to Chris Hummer about Rule's unique approach to evaluation and recruiting and how it's helped him orchestrate one of the most stunning turnarounds in college football history. All right, Chris, so uh, Baylor is undefeated, and in pretty short order, they have turned around from being a dumpster fire with players leaving the program in anticipation of NCAA sanctions and, you know, question marks about the future of the program with Art Bryles and then, you know, uh, in the in the one interim year where I forget the Wake Forest, former Wake Forest coach's name. And so, and then, and then Matt Rule comes in, and then in year three, he's competing for a Big Twelve title. So it raises a number of questions about, you know, how has he been able to do this? And this summer, you wrote a story about analytics in college football, and Matt Rule's a part of that story because he's very interested in helping, trying to use data to drive his recruiting philosophy. So from from reporting and writing this story, what is your understanding of what the core of Matt Rule's recruiting and evaluation philosophy is? Yeah, so when I was in Waco, Matt Rule told me a story about his time at Temple. Essentially, he arrived and kind of took that job after a one-year stint in the NFL with the New York Giants. And he knew that Temple man-for-man man or player-for-player player was never going to be able to recruit with Penn State, like their fellow in-state school, a program that Tem- Temple has historically struggled against. It just was never going to happen. So in order to get the same type of athletes, Matt Rule decided he had to recruit in more creative fashion. So that meant finding athletes or at least players with the same traits that have 
um, Penn State consistently competing for championships, but that might be a little less far along. Thus, they're not recruited or ranked as highly. And he decided if he was going to field a program that could compete for championships, he had to have those athletes and then coach them up. Uh, the result was very successful for Mount Rule at Temple. Um, he went 2-10 and ten in his first Temple season. Uh, two years later, the Owls won a program record 10 games. Uh, the first game that season, as it happened, was a Temple 17-point win over Penn State. So at that time, Matt Rule kind of saw that his formula and his method worked at the college level, and it was something that he could carry forward to other places. And that kind of brings you to Baylor. Uh, I'm not sure if there was a tougher job in the FBS than Baylor when Matt Rule inherited it. At the time he came in, I believe I remember writing a story that November about a month before he took over, that Baylor was down to one commitment for the 2016 class. It might be 2017. But either way, um, there was nothing in the cupboard. The previous class, which was the 2016 class, had been decimated after the scandal that kind of rocked that university and the country. And Matt Rule's objective was to turn like nothing into something. And what he did was, in a state of Texas that has bounds and bounds of athletes and football players he targets high upside athletes guys who might not be as far as long as some of the guys at temple or that texas or in oklahoma get but are just as naturally athletic and his job and his staff's job is to coach them up he'll take a high upside athlete over a maybe more developed player almost 100 percent of the time because it's his belief that the baylor coaching staff can develop those players in NFL prospects, and he's done so consistently. Temple had more draft picks than they, at during his run at uh, Temple than Texas did during that same period. Uh, so it kind of shows you the way he's developed. And what we're seeing in year three is those kind of philosophies and that kind of idea is paying dividends for a program that uh, was kind of at the bottom of the cellar previously, so, even in recruiting like it, rankings, and is now competing I mean, for the One of the things that's fascinating about this whole story is that it kind of draws in so many timeless arguments across like different sports. And, you know, you've got the high, as you were talking about, the high ceiling athlete or the polished, like, player with football skills who maybe doesn't have as much of an athletic ceiling and in some ways it seems so obvious like yes you want great athletes obviously you want great athletes but it seems like part of what separates Matt Rule in his philosophy is his eagerness to rely on particular sets of measurement in defining what athleticism means right Yeah, he athleticism is athleticism is subjective in a way, but it it really isn't. Like when you think about it, athleticism is athleticism. Like there's a very concrete way to determine how freakishly athletic one player is compared to his peers. In the NFL, like during the NFL draft, you often see people talk about a Z score, which is essentially a, a composite ranking of every NFL prospect in the X number of years. And then you put that person's testing numbers up against similar players at his position to see how athletic a player is for his position historically. College lacks that kind of context a lot of the time. I think 24-7 sports, especially recently, has started to use some of those numbers and some of those thought processes in the way we evaluate uh, 
And a guy like Charles Power, who is a national analyst here, is kind of leading that charge. And I think, I think it really changes the way you look at recruiting. And for Matt Rule, when he kind of examines his board, a player has to have a certain measure of athleticism for Baylor to recruit them. They could be an excellent football player. And there are lots of examples of this in Texas. Guys who are elite high school athletes who would make pretty good college football players, like good college football players. But Matt Rule is looking for guys who, I don't want to say transcendent, like not everybody can be transcendent, but he wants guys, elite athletes, who can make a difference on the college football level. That means for his defensive ends, and for his edge rushers, he wants guys to have big frames that can run. Uh, his idea is if you have a big frame and you can run, we'll figure out what to do with you. He's taken a six foot four wide receiver and turned him into an all conference defensive end before and a draft pick. It's those kind of uh, athletes that he's consistently seeking after. And unless they hit a certain One set of, the of measurables, excerpts from your story, ninety nine percent of the time, Matt Wolves is out at me. Them. Was uh you wrote that outside of linebacker, running back, and quarterback positions that Rule said require in-person evaluation, the Bears are willing to pursue prospects off testing numbers alone or at least testing numbers and OK tape at every other spot. That seemed like pretty wild to me. What, what, how, I mean, how did, when, you, when you found that out, what was your reaction to, to learning that, that that's the case? Yeah, I, I was pretty surprised, but at the same time, like, I, I mean, I live in this state. I live in Texas, and I've seen for a really long time in this state, if TCU offered somebody early, like, you knew that prospect had something. Like, TCU was the school, like, you kind of kept your eye on if you're a coaching staff. You check TCU's offers every day, and it got to the point where TCU used to try to hide kids, essentially, because, like, they would just get poached by bigger schools coming in. And what we've seen in Texas recently is like TCU is still that program Like Gary Patterson garners a ton of respect, but other schools like look at how Baylor evaluates and they start following Baylor's offer. Like a guy like Kalon Barnes who had an interception against Oklahoma state on Saturday is a great example. Um, Baylor offered him really, really early in his process after they saw him run a hundred meters and the, uh, I think the state track meet, uh, Kalon eventually ran a, a 10.22 in the, uh, state his senior year which is not olympic fast but it's like national championship fast on the college level potentially in some cases and like that type of speed can't be coached and baylor saw that and decided that wide receiver would make a future standout corner and they offered him based off that time alone and there are several examples in baylor's roster of guys where they just saw spark scores and for people unfamiliar with spark scores it's a it's a composite ranking of from Nike that essentially like combines a couple traits to show how athletic somebody is versus his peers in the class. And there are several players in Baylor's roster that before they really saw them live in person or had them out to a camp that they offered based on a spark score alone. And that like willingness to go out there on a limb and offer a player versus testing numbers can help Baylor get in early versus some other schools. And obviously Baylor prefers if people camp with them because you get a better understanding of, uh, somebody's like physical abilities if you have them in person but there are times and many times actually that Baylor's willing to kind of jump out there early based on like the numbers that kind of makes me wonder very little highlight film tape I mean is like so much of this so much of the problem that recruiting departments face is that it is such a big country (laughs) and even even in just in Texas it's a big state 
and there are a lot of players out there and it is difficult to identify them if your version of identifying them is going through and like watching their junior year tape or their sophomore year tape or whatever it is. But like if you've just got a number or a series of numbers, it's so much easier to sift through and identify it situations where maybe you need to dig deeper. And then, and then if you can process that information more quickly and kind of make a quick yes, no decision on somebody just based on a number, you can start talking to that player earlier, develop that relationship earlier, and then have an advantage when the other schools start noticing too. Yeah, 100%. And I know what Baylor does like very, re- like very often during the spring is they'll essentially just print out um, track meet results and then they'll highlight guys who play football and somebody to keep an eye on. And they start doing that in their freshman and sophomore seasons. Like it makes a, it makes a huge difference in terms of just narrowing your board a little bit. And obviously like track speed and athletic ability isn't everything, but it's certainly a way to cut your board down and kind of as a baseline measure for you to know who you're going to recruit and who you're not going to. And it prevents you from wasting time in a lot of cases. Um, Baylor doesn't do this, but I think several schools nationally are using systems that kind of help narrow that board anyway. Um, There's a company called Tracking Football that I mentioned in my story that spits out like a track and field score to show how athletic somebody is versus their peers, as we've talked about earlier. And it's tools like that um, and schools that are willing to embrace kind of that thought process that I think you see have a lot of success. Penn State, um, who I also mentioned in my article, is another school that's really, uh, really bullish on athletic testing numbers and will sometimes offer in a similar way to Baylor. And I think especially for programs like those, like Penn State was obviously a little farther behind due to their scandal uh, early in the earlier in the millennium and Bill O'Brien helped turn that around, but it's James Franklin who really got it jump-started. And I think a big part of that was like James Franklin figured out a way to kind of get around his recruiting issues and he recruited high upside athletes and then coached them up and you're seeing Baylor do the same thing. I think it's, I think it's a giant advantage when you look at um, was a, kind of closing the quote, gap in the recruiting landscape. In your story by Evan Cooper, recruiting coordinator and cornerbacks coach at Baylor. Uh, he says, I kind of feel bad for some of those other schools with the pressure they have to take some of the kids they have to take sometimes because of their ranking, etc. cetera. Um, and I, I imagine if you asked a, uh, a coach at another school like do they do they recruit based on ranking i'm sure they would deny it until they were blue in the face but i mean the fact is like as as a fan of a school when we get a commit from a like two scar prospect i'm like guys what, what's going on here so like i mean how much it gets felt by the coaching staff in actuality as long as the results are good probably pretty low but i mean if if like alabama took this approach and they were just like recruiting a bunch of two-star guys based on kind of like it's I mean I think clearly successful but I think some people would say kind of an experimental not a million percent well at least against the grain of conventional wisdom approach to recruiting that I mean there might be some blowback from the fan base and do you think that that realistically I, I mean, I guess I, I guess kind of what I'm driving at is that this seems like such an obviously good idea that I wonder why 
everyone isn't doing it or something like it. And what do you have any theories about why that is the case? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's several things. Um, Matt Rule, I think, if if I remember correctly, he signed a seven-year contract when he arrived at Baylor. Like, Baylor promised him kind of a runway to get this fixed, and that kind of stability allows you to try things that are considered a little um, maverick, potentially. I think you're seeing that in a different way at Houston this year, where Dana Holgerson is, for all intents and purposes, tanking the season. Um, and I think that kind of leeway gives you freedom to do things in a slightly different way. And not everybody has that luxury. I think I, I don't want to throw a specific school out there, but if you're like a, if you're a Vanderbilt and you're in the SEC and you have the opportunity to land a high four-star prospect, something that Vanderbilt in that conference doesn't do often, like there's going to be a lot of pressure from the fan base and the administration to do whatever you can to land them. And I don't mean this as any disrespect to the recruiting industry, like the company we work for. Like, I think we do an excellent job, but sometimes like a coach might not feel the same way about a prospect that the recruiting industry does. And there are definitely cases when coaches feel like the, like the the publicity and the like excitement you would get for landing that prospect outweighs the fact that you might be wasting a scholarship. And at some schools, like, stacking up those recruits really makes a difference. Like if you can show your fan base, like, Hey, like look at the recruiting class you've just brought in. It makes it, it's a big deal. And like some schools and some coaches just don't have the patience to do so. And like Baylor's like Baylor's not an exception to this. Like Matt rule, like if you would have, I, I promise if you would have like taken a pulse of the Baylor fan base last February, after they signed their recruiting class, and like early this spring, as like the 2020 class was coming together, there would have been a ton of questions about the group they brought in because it wasn't particularly highly uh, ranked in the 24/7 sports rankings. Like there were just a lot of athletes that Matt Rule took a chance on, and I I have no doubt it's going to work out in the long run. But they just weren't as developed as uh, like you see some other places. And there was a lot of uh, like in the, at least in the Twitterverse, there was a lot of like angry Baylor fans, but I don't think you would hear from any of them today because what he's doing is clearly working. But like, even at schools where it's kind of proven that it can happen, like fans get impatient, fans get upset, and like public opinion is a pretty powerful uh, persuader, mm. even for a multi-million-dollar so head coach. And I think that's why a lot of schools don't identification and acquisition of talent, and then there's still so that's only like a third maybe of the equation, then you also have to figure out how to develop that talent and deploy that talent. And I think, I mean, recruiting this way, it seems like a pretty big bet on your ability to develop. And we, I think we've seen that that's not something that every coach is great at. Do you think Matt Rule is, is a good developer? Yeah, I, I don't think there's a question. I mean, the NFL has interviewed or at least tried to interview Matt Rule two years in a row for NFL head coaching jobs. And there's a reason. Like, if you talk to scouts, if you talk to coaches in the industry, like, Matt Rule is considered one of the best program developers of anyone. Just because, like, he has a formula that I think he took from the NFL 
that year in the New York Giants with the New York Giants under a really well-respected head coach. Um, and he took that and he also formulated his own plan and he runs his team like an NFL team in a lot of ways, like the way he develops, the way he practices. Like he's got a very set structured way of approaching things. He's got a strength staff that shares his vision and I think they kind of pair it all together and they just have a lot of trust in their ability to kind of develop players. And I think you saw that at Temple translating to the NFL draft and we haven't seen it as much at Baylor early because we're still pretty early into this process. But I think if you look up in two or three years, you're going to start to see more and more Baylor Bears drafted as long as Matt rules there. And you're seeing evidence of that development this season with an undefeated Baylor team two years removed from being one and 11. So yeah, I, I have no question about Matt rules ability to develop. And I think that's why that's another reason why not a lot of schools are willing to try this. Not everybody develops as well as so Matt when it Rule comes does. And that's to, why, that's a big reason why he's like, uh, been a success doing things that are just so, I don't know. It seems like coaches are very reluctant to go against the conventional wisdom, whether we're talking about fourth down decisions or stuff like this or going for two or whatever it is. They're very reluctant to do that. So what, do you have any insight into what it is about Matt Rule that made him open to thinking this way or how he got introduced to the idea that this might be a good thing to do? Well, I think it goes back to that story I talked about earlier about knowing that without without a change like he wasn't going to be successful like against Penn State and like if you're not successful in state against Penn State you're going to have a harder time being successful in your conference and in your league um his quote to me was this if they take a top 50 recruit I need to take someone who isn't as highly recruited so I better take somebody with the skills to develop with the skills and then develop them um, he went on to say, like, whenever a player left Temple, they could all run. They were all big. It made sense taking that approach to survive at Temple. And I think it was it was part out of necessity, but it's also just, it's smart. And Matt Rule, if you talk to him, and I think it's a big reason why, like, so many people are drawn to him is he's just a guy who listens. He's affable. But more than that, like, he engages with you on ideas. Like, we sat there for 30 minutes just talking about analytics kind of when the interview ended and like it's not often that I, I don't mean to put coaches in boxes because they're not all like this like there are definitely unique personalities out there but a lot of guys are just so football focused that it's hard to engage them in other places Matt Rule like even if you look at his bookshelf in his office like just seems like a guy who's willing to learn and do other things and I think that mindset for any walk of life serves you well and I think especially in football where people can be so locked in, they don't necessarily see what's around them. I think Matt Rule is a guy who kind of sees the whole picture and it allows him to... What do you make of his maybe approach things in a different way from people? courtship by the NFL and like the fact that that's... It, it seems like, you know, that he's at least been receptive to talking. Um, do you think there's genuine interest there? Or, I don't know, is that just like kind of a feather in the cap for him to help build his program like look i you know nfl programs are interested in me kind of thing i mean i i don't pretend to have any like 
particular insight in the situation. I don't, I don't know Matt that well outside of a couple times where we've spoken, but I think there definitely has to be at least a, some interest. He's a guy who went to the NFL on his own to be the offensive line coach of the New York giants. And I think, I think even like with a guy like Nick Saban, we saw like the NFL is usually a lure that, a lure that you can't turn down once that siren kind of keeps calling and keeps calling. I don't know if it'll happen soon. I think, I think for every like hit Baylor took, uh, deservedly so under the Art Bryles regime at the end, it's a pretty, pretty comfy gig right now for Matt Rule. He's got long-term security. He's got a program that doesn't have extreme expectations, but you live in a state where you can recruit really well. Um, I think he's at a place where he's allowed to kind of spend a lot of time with his family, which is a big deal uh, for him and a lot of coaches, and which is pretty unique, honestly. So I don't, I don't know if it'll happen anytime soon, but NFL teams are going to keep knocking on that door because they're just there are so few elite coaches out there. And I, I don't know if Matt rules in that category yet, but he's certainly approaching it very quickly. And anytime you could have a chance to secure one, you have to. And I think rules mindset and the way he approaches football translates. So I think you're going to continue to see his name pop up for NFL jobs and like Lincoln Riley and everybody else who's been long rumored for the NFL. Like you have to think eventually those rumors, uh, those rumors will catch hold because there's usually yeah. some smoke where there's fire or there's usually uh some, anyway, you get the expression like I, eventually. Yeah. I think that's a possibility. Following Saturday's 45 to 27 win over Oklahoma state, Baylor is off this weekend. Their next game is on October 31st against West Virginia. ESPN's FPI gives Baylor a 90% chance of beating the Mountaineers. If that happens, Baylor will go into the month of November undefeated. The College Football Daily will be right back with Jim Harbaugh news and an upcoming commitment from a massive five-star prospect in the class of 2020. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. On Tuesday, Football Scoop reported that Jim Harbaugh was, quote, pursuing an exit strategy from Michigan to the NFL. On Wednesday, the Michigan Insider obtained a letter from a current Michigan commit in which Harbaugh refutes these accusations. The letter reads, quote, I am reaching out to let you know that recent claims that I am pursuing an exit strategy are total crap. Please excuse the informality of this letter, but I felt it was important to get this out to you as quickly as possible. Go Blue, Jim Harbaugh. The number one tight end in the class of 2020 is expected to commit on Wednesday afternoon. 6'5", 253-pound Eric Gilbert out of Marietta, Georgia, is expected to announce a decision between Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Texas A&M. Alabama is the current leader in the 24-7 sports crystal ball predictions. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. For our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Thursday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 